0: Hi, and welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and entrepreneurs who are committed to planetary purpose, or in other words, its holistic visions for the planet Earth. My name is Julian Guderley, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Daniel Pinchback. Daniel is an American author living in New York. He's a true magician with words and eloquently connects us with the evolution of consciousness through his books and his other work. Among many of his books, he published Breaking Open the Head, A Psychedelic Journey, into the Heart of Contemporary Shamanism, 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, Notes from the Edge of Times, How Soon is Now, and his most recent editions are The Occult Control System and When Planned Stream. He has founded think, think tanks, TV shows, online magazines, pioneering the evolution of consciousness in our times. So with these words, and without further ado, welcome to the show, Daniel.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How soon is now, right? <laughs>
1: getting there it's coming closer yeah. every day
0: nice very nice yeah let's jump right in i think you you've done so much uh, fascinating work um in in the spheres of um you know the evolution of consciousness and you've written your recent book about plants and the way plants dream and the spread of ayahuasca around the world share with us like like how how is that how has that become the reality we're in like the plants are literally talking to us
1: Sure. Well, uh, you know, in my first book as you mentioned Open the head, it came out, came out in 2002. And um in that book I covered ayahuasca and it was pretty early like I would give talks about, you know, the the subject of bookstores around the US or even in Europe and most people had never really heard of ayahuasca. Uh and so it's been really fascinating to watch the growth of interest and the um you know the, the just the spread of uh yeah, the plant and the the, the whole uh, culture around it, uh, both, you know, on a many levels, anthropologically. I mean, when, when Breaking Open the Head came out in 2002, it really didn't even, you know, you couldn't even really talk seriously about psychedelics in New York or, you know, Europe or whatever. People just kind of scoff at you. And now we're in a full-scale psychedelic renaissance that includes a lot of scientific research and um, new discoveries and, you know, potential for these substances to be used as, official me- medicines and so on. Um, so yeah, it's been really exciting to chart that. And um, so the When Plants Dream is kind of like an overview of the whole ayahuasca phenomenon. I wrote it with a young anthropologist, Sophia Rocklin. She's actually uh, working half-time in Peru coordinating a program where they're um, working with local indigenous communities to sustainably grow and harvest ayahuasca for the benefit of the locals. Uh, as a matter of fact, because uh, the tourism demand has grown so quickly. There's now actually a shortage of ayahuasca and uh, it takes, you know, three, seven, think like seven to 10 years to really reach maturity. Uh, so you really have to start planning ahead and really, uh, so, so yeah, so we basically look at it from all different angles. We looked at what we know about the origins of ayahuasca, you know, how different tribes use it, uh, how the West, the modern, the modern sort of Anglo-European world discovered it um you know the different shamanic practices around it scientific research uh, religious aspects both how ayahuasca itself is the core of different religions and how it uh, in, in influences people who approach it from different religious perspectives and then we sort of think about you know where, where it may be going in the future and then also a big theme of the book is kind of stories of personal transformation people who felt they were healed by it or gained great insight from it or, you know, found their path really changed by their, by their
0: experience. Really cool. Ayahuasca, the vine of dreams. Would you say this is like largely a North American phenomena that it's starting to change, as you said, like in the last 15 years from, you couldn't even publicly talk about it to it being almost like recognized as a healing pathway, or is that like a global, uh, like a global rollout?
1: It's a global rollout. I mean, it's in Hmm. Australia, it's in South Africa. I've heard that it's, you know, popular in areas in Taiwan, Uh, all over Europe. You find it, Uh, you know, England, people are using it a lot to Spain. They just had the World Ayahuasca Conference there. So, um, yeah, it seems uh, very, very popular in in many places.
0: Yeah, it's like the dream of the plant is really wrapping itself around the planet and connecting us to soul and soul's journeys or the soul's purpose. Do you yeah, do well, you know? So, sorry, do you do you know if there's um if there's any concern about so much demand? Like, did you guys touch on that in your book?
1: In uh, concern, in what sense?
0: Just there's so much demand that the plant and the more like you know, rich cultural background of the tribes might might just be changing as well as we're using it in large quantities.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think we're kind of like, you know, in 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 terms of what's happening, in terms of like you know our global civilization and the ecology of the planet. We're very much in like the 11th hour and like 57th minute right now. So, you know, ayahuasca seems to be one of the most valuable tools that can really bring about a rapid shift in perception. So I, I personally believe that, um, the growth of interest in it, you know, really has to be seen as something benevolent. Uh, you know, even though like, like anything, it's not perfect. And, you know, there's uh, turns out to be manipulative shamans and, um, you know, some people have negative reactions from it. Some people have breakdowns and so on. But all, all in all, I think it's having a, a very, a, you know, positive effect.
0: Is that something that we wish the politicians and like leaders of companies of the world would would drink so so they can change or, let's say, augment the way they operate?
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, you know, not that that in itself is like a silver bullet. But actually, I have one friend who runs something called Entrepreneurial Awakening. And he brings a CEOs of tech startups to Peru to do ayahuasca. And a lot of them do go through transformations. Like there was one guy who was running like a soft drink company. And after the two week immersion, he realized he didn't want to just peddle something that wasn't good for people's health. Mm. So he shifted to like start, like a nutritional supplement company. Uh, I've seen, you know, people who are big investors kind of re- rethink how, reevaluate how they do their investments and try to do things that are more in sustainable energy technologies or, uh, know things that have a a more benevolent ecological uh outcome
0: yeah that's really interesting and i like that about your work quite a bit that that you know you speak about let's say companies like walmart or coca-cola that of course in the current way of how they're situated they might be creating harm on the planet but in itself they're big groups of people who are are creating something right so if the leadership or kind of the, the the direction of the company changes and um god behold but if it was to turn into like a collaborative uh, you know company things would change so rapidly so is that yeah. maybe a good angle where to where to leverage you know
1: yeah well you're talking about ideas that i discussed in my book how soon is now which was yeah. mainly focused on you know kind of uh, the ecological crisis looking at it as something like a collective initiation a rite of passage for humanity and then trying to think about what are the leverage points to bring about a positive shift And in that book, I sort of uh, really tried to take a system design perspective. And um, yeah, it's like, you know, if you think about what a corporation is, in a way it's like an unbelievably powerful social technology that we've created. We sort of uh, take like, you know, financial data, legal data, ideas, you know, brand insignia, and uh, we create this powerful mechanism that can transform matter and energy and transform societies in, in this incredibly rapid rate. Um, You know, in in a way, I look at corporations as something like artificial life forms. Uh, The problem is that um, the way that the system now functions, you know, the the, the game that we've created in which these artificial life forms have to uh, survive and thrive is called the stock market. And we've given them only one prime directive in that game, which is to maximize, uh, you know, short-term value, financial profit for shareholders. So the problem is that that's what corporations, as we've constructed them, are doing. And and we've learned now that that is totally not fitting in with the imperatives of a healthy biosphere. Totally. I mean, if you could find a way to use the efficiencies of corporations and our capacity to create these kind of social technologies that um, get so many people on board towards a, you know, single focus and working together to bring about some type of, you know, you know, process of, you know, exponential scalable technologies that, you know, can be transformative, but it's, you know, based more on how do we bring, you know, human human existence back into balance with the ecological systems of the planet, then then we might have something amazing. But the question then would be, what would be the leverage point to actually redesign the financial system in that way? And we don't really have an answer to that now, because everybody, you know, all all the powerful people are so addicted and hooked into the power they get from the uh, control of the financial resources.
0: Yeah, addiction is in fact like such a such a you know root cause of all of what we're experiencing. Because as as you said, like a lot of the things you really explained that eloquently, I think they become pretty much like a logical pathway out of the scenario in which we're now. But to logically just shift even just one or two degrees, you need to really be in check with your own addictions and your own kind of habits, right? And so I I, I see that. What would you say, people listening who, you know, maybe even went through ayahuasca, maybe even are aware of you know, the soul's kind of larger purpose, how could they apply themselves best in the society we're in in 2019,
1: 2020? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, um, you know, unfortunately, I mean, even, you know, the How Soon Is Now came out in 2017, and I was even writing about a lot of the same stuff in 2012, The Return of Cancer Qual, which came out in 2006. But, you know, even over the last two years, unfortunately, the environmental data has become so much more devastating. Uh, I mean, things like, you know, the the loss of, like, 75% of insect biomass in the last 25 years, I mean, that's just, like, unfathomable. Yeah. You know, the melting we're seeing in the Arctic now is what was predicted for 2070. Uh, you know, so, you know, without a rapid course correction, uh, you know, we're probably on the brink of bringing about our own extinction. And I think people really have to, you know, take that in. Uh, And then really decide uh, understanding that because, you know, people are very self-interested. It's like, you want to have a good job. You want to make sure your kids go to a good school. You know, you want to, you're imagining this future that you're going to, you're going to have, you know, in in the countryside somewhere and retire, but all of that stuff is about to be taken off the table unless we deal with the biospheric emergency. So unfortunately people really have to rethink their life mission and purpose uh, in relationship to what's happening on, on a planetary scale right now. And then really almost like look at themselves as um, catalytic agents in, in this uh, biospheric equation and just think, like, well, wow, what, are, what are my you know, incredible superpowers and skills and talents? And how, you know, even if it costs me financially, even if I'm not going to have the comfortable life that I wanted to have, you know, what can I do that will really have the, the maximum benefit for people and planet?
0: Totally. I, I, I love how you're putting it. And I, I see a lot of people kind of being, you know, they go through this transition and then there's this like now what moment where it feels so overwhelming because as you said, people are somewhat self-interested and then you you have this inner dialogue between your self-interest and these ideas for the planet. But then when you look around, especially through the modern media world, it seems like no one else is like really gives a shit, you know? And I mean, that is not true. We know that there's a lot of social impact action all around the world, but How do you ever face that yourself? This kind of like devastating feeling of like, oh, wow, there's so much going wrong. What can we even do, right?
1: Yes. I mean, I definitely have faced that myself. I mean, um, I tried to build a company and a nonprofit that was really devised to help accelerate uh, transformation and awareness. And that collapsed on me and, and, you know, my own shortcomings and shadow aspects, you know, got revealed during that process. Um, Then with How Soon Is Now, I really felt, here's a book that can cross over and introduce a lot of these ideas to the mainstream, but then the mainstream media just blocked it. I couldn't get the type of uh, reviews and coverage that I was hoping. So then I did get very uh, despairing in a way. And at this point, I'm not, you know, I've in a way surrendered to the likelihood that um, we are not going to stop this juggernaut and we're going to see massive civilizational collapse and potentially human extinction, you know, within the next century. So that that's kind of what I think is most likely at this point, but I'm still, you know, totally available and open for other options and, and obviously keeps, you know, looking at, you know, how I could apply my energy to bring about an alternative. And that even is what brought me to, I mean, ayahuasca is one subject. I mean, the realm of the psyche, the fact that we have, you know, paranormal capacities and magical capacities that, that you know, the, the Western rational worldview, you know, just kind of uh, totally suppresses and shuts down. And then also the possibility that maybe there are hyperdimensional forces like, um, you know, interdimensional, extraterrestrial, whatever they are, who um, you know are, are also part of the 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 larger equation. Uh, so you know maybe may, maybe there are ways to get out of this trap that are totally outside of what uh, we now allow. Because if we look at it from just a purely material um, technical calculation, it very really much. does not look like we can save the situation at all.
0: Very much right, and I feel like that that's the the interesting part about it is we obviously as human individuals have a very biased perception. There's I guess, un- unless somebody reaches the level of enlightenment where where there's no bias left where you can just see everything just the pure way it is and its raw potentiality in every moment, I, I agree with you. like the linearity of our material kind of uh, calculations, it just kind of predicts doomsday. And then at the same time, I feel like there is, for me personally, I, I do go through those phases as well where I'm like, oh wow, it seems to just be getting worse but I feel like there is hope for our planet in the sense of um, there's a form of trust in me that there is truly another level of consciousness arising. Can you touch on the topic of trust, maybe even in a, in a personal way, like what is required for you to trust?
1: What is required for me to trust? Uh, I mean, I feel that I've had many, many um, indications from the universe that, you know, you know, the sort of, um, kind of hermetic and Eastern metaphysical ideas that the world is actually like a divine play or a Maya, you know, that there are synchronicities, that there are these other levels of psychic reality and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I feel I've been demonstrated that like so, so powerfully that I just accept that 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 that's the reality of the situation. So that, that, that is something that's almost beyond trust. It's actually a form of knowledge.
0: Yeah. So it's a form of knowledge based on life experience, like embodied yeah, experience,
1: direct experience. Yeah, and I think that anybody who, you know, pushes them themselves through their own, you know, kind of, uh, you know, initiatory process, you know, with all of the dangers and, and horrors that they'll inevitably undergo, most likely, uh, will will discover the same thing to be true for themselves.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So more like a agnostic uh, approach to life, right? Like embodied understanding and. and... Life experience as teachers.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's also like um, I mean, I did a couple of retreats with the Akogi and the Iraq people in Colombia who are like uh, Ancient indigenous culture that call themselves like the elder brother They see us as the younger brother and when I kind of tried to distill the core message They were coming to share with us. It was basically that um, You know what we experience as the physical natural material world is ultimately a direct uh, reflection of our level of uh, consciousness, our level of spiritual development. So if we're able to kind of like, um, you know, not spiritually bypass, you know, not go into like law of manifestation or the secret kind of territory, but really kind of, um, kind of, uh, yeah, I guess, evolve ourselves, transform ourselves to this, you know, more elevated state of awareness. then that also has direct effects on, on, on the world around us.
0: Beautiful. I feel like you did a really good job in your um, book, the occult C- control system, in like summarizing different points of views and different ways of how that kind of plays together. Yeah. In I'm just saying goodbye to my friend. That's <laughs> no, all good. Yeah, re- real life is happening every moment. That's that's the beauty. Um, yeah. n- nothing is staged, right? Everything is now. So I feel like you did a really good job with the occult control system where you kind of explained different pathways of different ways of thinking of philosophy of uh, the occult of the, the extraterrestrials or different dimensions. But you brought it back into a very interesting way about the organicness of this world, right? Which is kind of in, 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 my, in my way of looking at the world or looking at my own body and my own experiences, this is the privilege of being a human being, I, I believe, is we, we, are the sense that we are the sensors in this world. We, we have an organic experience.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And when I look at, um, you know, traditions like the Kogis, who who I've been fortunate to to meet as well, and I I feel like they have such an incredible energetic gift to share with us. The organicness of their world and their vast consciousness seem to be standing out like as the first thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that.
0: Yeah. So how come, though, that we've turned into such a plastic and material species? Like. Do you, do you really think all these technology gifts that we're experiencing right now, if it's the iPhone or, or the iPad or the laptop, or even the DSLR camera, are, are those really the gifts we want to spend most of our time with?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there, there's different ways to look at it. I mean, um, one way that I've read in different sort of like, you know, kind of from esoteric or metaphysical perspectives is that, you know, the we have different, as human beings, we have different aspects that we, that we can develop uh, and that in our evolution, ultimately you know, we do develop. And one of them was to develop this technological uh, you know, kind of aspect of, of our being and our capacity to really um, hone into the material reality and dissect it and create these types of uh, communications tools. So I, I see this as t- totally an inevitable part of our even organic evolution uh that would happen at some point and you know we can trace back through european history and you know the uh how how you know christian monotheism created a separation between spirit and matter uh how you know this led to you know kind of a certain type of philosophy that you know allowed for the sense of us being kind of above nature and that led to the beginning of the scientific method or your people like Bacon saying, you know, we must torture nature until she reveals her secrets, um, you know, so the sort of, you know, patriarchal separation, and then the, um, you know, the, the demonization of people who possessed direct visionary insight and in the Inquisition, you know, the sort of Christian uh, hierarchical priest structure which is like a control system that was designed to keep people in kind of, you know, ignorant faith and obedience, you know, and this, and this then being like the... Prelude to the current control system, which is done through main, mainstream media in the U.S., things like Fox News and evangelical, you know, Christian networks and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's a trajectory that we've been on. And, um, you know, it, do, it does feel like it's sort of reaching a crescendo at this point, because uh, we can see that if we continue in this particular path for much longer, we, we won't be here.
0: Yeah, totally. I've um, had the privilege earlier in my life to be exposed to Rudolf Steiner's philosophy quite a bit. I worked in a a Waldorf school and was part of like the anthroposophical kind of uh, movement back in Italy, actually, for a while. And I remember one of Steiner's books about education was called Education to Freedom or for Freedom, Educare alla Libertà in in Italian. Mm -hmm. And it was it's so interesting because it's, it strikes me that almost everyone who goes through this journey where they either educate themselves to a perspective of like true freedom from all these control systems and, and, and hierarchical systems usually ends up either with significantly less technology use or at the very minimum, a very mindful uh, kind of choice of what they allow into their consciousness and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I, I don't know if that's been the case. Uh, in, in my case, I seem to still be using this stuff all the time. But, um, I mean, I try to use it to get, you know, the word out about the stuff that interests me. But, uh, I mean, I definitely, you know, and I've written a lot about Rudolf Steiner. I wrote about him in Breaking Open the Head in the uh, 2012, and the Occult Control System. And I feel that um, he's an incredibly important and profound thinker for our time. And um, was really a kind of, like, positive uh, occultist who really seemed to be able to access incredible layers of like visionary information and then like transmute that into, you know, philosophies, schools, you know, ways of approaching like agriculture health or education that are still very viable today. So um, yeah, I mean, I talk about his work in in, in the last book a lot and uh, really, really think that uh, he's very important.
0: Hmm. Another one of those um, kind of recent figures I feel is Buckminster Fuller, who I know you're also inspired by, And I guess so many of us, you know, and Bucky, I I don't know if he actually called it incoming timelines himself, but I feel like he talks a lot about like, like incoming timelines, the idea of things that are about to happen in our reality that will either worsen the situation or really help us in kind of this transformation of consciousness. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because as we're in 2019, 2020, I feel like topics like quantum physics or um, even just if it's technology in self-driving cars or the possible superintelligence of quantum computing, those are phenomena that I feel like, other than its really negative, threatening identity, they could also really help us and aid us in our kind of evolution.
1: Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, well, I, mean, I think, uh, I mean, Buckminster Fuller had a lot of incredible insights that um, I think are still very, very valid and important, I mean, including looking at our whole designing, you know, with right angles, how nature never uses right angles and trying to come up with a whole design system that's more based on nature's principles. And um, also he talked about how, um, you know, back in the sixties that, that we shouldn't be using up all the fossil fuels that we're using. They're like, they're like the starter battery that we need to, you know, shepherd very, very intentionally so that we then are able to live on sunlight and, and have a, you know, regenerative system. And, you know, it's very unfortunate, like he laid out a whole pathway that we should have taken back then. But, um, yeah, so, so, um, um, yeah, in terms of what you said, I mean, about, um, you know, quantum computing and self-driving cars, I really don't know at this point. I mean, um, ideally, certainly we would want a system that, you know, eliminated as much human drudgery as possible. Totally. Uh, Um, and That's also in the How Soon Is Now book. I mean, I talked about that a lot. I talked about Oscar Wilde, who wrote this incredible essay called The Soul of Man Under Socialism, where he foresaw a future where humanity was really liberated from shit jobs, you know, by, by technology. But, you know, obviously in our present circumstance, a lot of that technology is seen as very threatening to working class people. So, for instance... In the US, the largest workforce is uh, truck drivers. Mm. It's like three and a half million people are truck drivers. And it's one of the only decent jobs that you can get you know, without a college degree or even a high school degree, potentially. So um, you know, self-driving cars are very, very threatening to, to those three and a half million people. And because kind of the liberal technocrats are always talking about how great this stuff is gonna be, that's actually had the effect of pushing them more towards the right wing and more towards Trump and so on because they fear the type of changes that this sort of neoliberal technocracy wants to bring uh, with this untrammeled technology, that's not connected from a larger social, or even let's say a spiritual vision or mission.
0: Hmm. Super interesting. Cause I find like, this is what's often missing in the very like technological visionary future that we hear a lot from Silicon Valley and like the West coast of America is the spiritual kind of connection, right. Or the connection to how these amazing uh, inventions might move us from competition into cooperation. I know you talk about that move from competition into cooperation quite a bit in answers no. now as well. Like in my na- naivety, and I, I know naivety is, is something that at times can be a gift. You know, I I envision um, something like singularity possibly happening as if there's a benevolent computing intelligence that just says, "Hey guys, so these are all the things where humanity is just doing a really bad job. Let me help you." And therefore, yeah. supports us in creating kind of like um, the fertile ground for more cooperation
1: mm-hmm. yeah that would be that would be the op- awesome op- option uh, i mean there 's a very cool writer, Paul Mason, who I think believes that we 're already moving rapidly towards post capitalism. But uh, you know, at the moment, the problem is we have a uh, well. First of all, we have an ecological mega crisis that we have to address. It's going to require, if we're ever going to take it seriously, uh, you know, retraining, you know, mass populations, you know, refocusing our uh, resources and technical uh, acumen in a different direction. Uh, But then, um, I may have lost my train of thought. Um,
0: From competition to cooperation. Competition to
1: cooperation. Yeah, oh, and then the other problem is that we have sociopathic uh, uh, and psychotic uh, uh, elites who are trying to maintain power and control at all costs. So, and, and, and the technological tools provide them with unbelievable access to surveillance, to uh, new forms of social control, as we're seeing in China with the social credit system. So that, like, um, you know, if you have too many books, you know, you're not going to be allowed to ride the train. I mean, it's, it really is 1984 there now. You know, it's just... Um, you know, mass uh, forced mass compliance to a, a certain ideology, where any deviation basically means your life is destroyed. And um, you know, then, then we look at what could happen in the U.S. The Christian theocracy coming into power. You know, that would really be the 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 could put you know the end of of the situation in the U.S.
0: Totally. Well, yeah, there there are lots of forces that that are definitely like in play for this. Um you know, 1984 kind of scenario, or, you know, you call it sociopathic elite, elite say, I, I agree, like, it seems to me that when humans are creating anything based out of their individualistic uh, notions, like this idea of like me and power or me and sex or me and money, what comes out of it in some way, shape or form is it's just going to be really destructive. And it seems to me that what we're missing is like, a shared human vision or a shared human compass, or like a direction sign that says, If we were to look at the next seven generations, this is our goal right right now I mean, our goal is like those who who, who get it, the goal is to not auto destruct and you know kill the planet and ourselves on it, yeah. but most most people who are in power still are, you know in, in, in not most people, but a lot of people are still even debating that so for me, one of the reasons why I started this podcast and this idea of green planet, blue planet is is the holistic visions that we might have for the planet. We know that plants, when they dream, or the kokis, the timekeepers of our planet, um, when, when they come with their wisdom out of the Amazon and the South American jungles, they, they usually uh, kind of have this organic vision for our planet, right? And so we touched on that earlier. If you were to go beyond our own lifetime beyond right now and let's just assume the planet is still alive what would be this holistic vision for you 150 200 years out like what would be a utopia that would be worth fighting for every day today
1: uh yeah i'm 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 not anti-technological i mean i really do like uh, oscar wilde's vision and the soul of man under socialism and i and i do feel that you know we wouldn't want to go backwards to a world where you know people have to do a lot of um, you know backbreaking labor, and um, so you know for me it, it would be a technologically mediated reality, in that uh, but we would be using technology to free people so they could really uh, you know cultivate their unique essence, their creativity, uh, their their um, yeah, unique capacities, and so on. Uh, I mean, I've also been very interested. You mentioned sexuality there. I mean. Um, I wrote in How Soon Is Now about this community called Tamara which has experimented with building a new system design that allows for people to have, um, you know, healthy multi-partner relationships where uh, all the emotions that come up are kind of, um, you know, uh, expressed in public forums. So things don't get like repressed and, and lead to, you know, envy and, Jealousy and then self-destruction of the community structure, um, and and they and the idea that eros uh, is is a shared community responsibility, not just an individual responsibility. Mm. Uh, and they they also uh, integrate things like a cooperative childcare. Um, so I would see a future where, you know, there were you know we used um, social technologies to you know kind of reinforce local community infrastructures. And there was kind of like um, different scales of organization, from the local to the bioregional to the planetary. Uh, nation-state governments would have much less uh, authority. Uh, it would have. It would be a kind of revolution in the same way. In the 18th century, we had the revolution away from monarchies and you know, the, the, that, that type of, you know, crude primitive control over peasant populations to a bourgeois society that had more individual rights protected would be like the next jump in that direction uh, with, you know, universal principles that are protected, universal basic income, uh, and um, moving towards the goal of really uh, liberating people to uh, explore their, their unique essence and their unique uh, creative uh, source.
0: Beautiful. I feel you there. I think there's a lot in in that vision that I, um, I can kind of sense that you know could be on the other side of this, this gap we're we're in front of right now. And my question regards to that is like when we look at closing this gap between this possible future of, you know, cooperation and also just like more community revolution that might even have like social basic income as a part of it. Marianne Williamson, who is running for. Um, presidency in the, U- in the US right now, or like giving, giving her best shot at that. She just um, shared something on social media about the intention to create a department of peace. Would that be one of those really strong efforts to close the gap?
1: Yeah, I mean, that idea has been bandied around uh, for a while and it's a great idea. Uh, I mean, you know, at the moment, the problem is there's no money to be made on peace. You know, there's a lot of fucking money to be made on war. I mean, you know, the um, military industrial complex, you know, as a, as a multi-trillion dollar, you know, budget, you know, probably yearly, you know, monstrosity in the U.S. And um, so, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I guess I'm still not very convinced that so much is going to happen in the you know, national political framework uh, without there being, you know, other types of, you know, kind of radical movements that are pushing things from the ground up. And so for instance, I've been very excited about Extinction Rebellion, yeah. uh, which is a movement that started in the UK and has actually um, uh, in April, they, got, um, they closed down a lot of bridges and so on. They made a really good show. They got over a thousand people arrested and that led to the English parliament issuing a climate emergency declaration. Now in October, they're gonna go back into the streets with the idea of, okay, so now you've issued a climate emergency Declaration, but now you actually have to have legislation that that ma- matches that. You know, so and, and you know the the you know it is it has been proven that large scale nonviolent civil disobedience is one of the most effective tools to bring about uh, change in governments that uh, don't want to change. And we're also seeing that happening right now in Hong Kong. It's quite mm-hmm. incredible the level of uh, you know organization that's behind the uh, the movement there. Um so yeah I mean it's like definitely feels that uh, you know reaching the sort of um you know kind of you know late s- stages of this kind of um you know long term battle between the forces of control and the forces of uh, you know kind of creative emancipation and uh, decentralization and um um you know at the moment it looks like the forces of control are like way ahead but you never know if the um, Kind of um, template uh, can be established uh, that um, really is able to break through the kind of uh, carapace of control. Then there's no reason that that couldn't spread universally very quickly, and that may be what we're beginning to see happen. You know, in situations like uh, what happened in England with XR, or what's happening in Hong Kong right now, which uh, obviously you know those people are having a lot of courage because they could just get this shit stomped out of them by the Chinese. You know.
0: Absolutely. But at the same time, you know, courage comes from the heart, right? So yeah. when we act in, I, I like how you, you put it, like, um, like nonviolent resistant on a large scale. I think a lot becomes possible. I'm, I'm with you on that, that when we just watch those governmental kind of plays play themselves out, I think we, we might be actually, you know, just watching really bad entertainment. Um, but it, it seems to me also that there's kind of a need to come from both ends at this, you know, and like have people just offer their uniqueness, their heart, their gifts into, yeah. into where they feel most called to.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, it's unfortunate that the U.S. is like a giant lead balloon right now that's kind of like dragging the rest of the world down with it, you know.
0: Yeah, it is unfortunate. It is also something where, you know, the again, the more naive kind of um, perspective that one can take, I feel, is this, well, I don't know the full uh, cause and effect of the universe. I personally can, I, I would never claim to know the full cause and effect of every action and interaction. So maybe, just maybe, you know, this is um, such a blatant waking up for so many people. I mean, it's happening in Brazil as well, where you have a president like Bolsonaro, who is... Yeah. Just, um, I mean, you know, taking down the lungs of the planets without even shrugging his shoulders and just saying, well, they're, they're things, they're trees, and we need to make yeah. money. Yeah, Yeah. let's switch it up for, for a second here before we close. I'd, I'd love to ask you some rapid-fire questions before I kind of go into my last, my last question or two for you. Um, just yes or no answers or neither or both, whatever you feel. Um, ocean or lake water, what do you prefer? Ocean. Water or kombucha? Water. Cannabis or alcohol? Mm, alcohol. Jungle or desert? Jungle. Daniel, what is happiness to you? Uh,
1: what is happiness to me? Um, well, I just fell in love, so I have a beautiful new girlfriend. And uh, even though I managed to break my leg, uh, just being with her right now is creating tremendous happiness. So that would definitely be my reference point
0: right now. Nice, yeah. nice. Well, you we know you've written so many books and so much work that you've put out there—interviews, magazines. Um, so, first of all, thank you so much for like continuously, you know, showing up and going through the the notions that come with it. Um, where where could we direct people here here now today? Like, wh- what would be a call to action or something to look up or you know, buy your latest book when um, Plantstream. Yeah, I mean, definitely.
1: You know, of course, I'm a writer, and I want people to buy my work. And um, you know, I have a number of books out. I mean, I still, you know, love the last book, How Soon Is Now? I think it's very useful. Uh, the new book, uh, The Occult Control System, uh, is a nice short read. I think it's. I mean, I think I'm going to start doing more short books just through Amazon Direct because I think that's more in the spirit of the times. Uh, The book, When Plants Dream, that I wrote with Sophia Rocklin, is coming out September 10th, but it can already be pre-ordered. And if you're interested in ayahuasca, I think it's a great uh, overview, really, really situates uh, everything that's happening with with that phenomenon. Uh, People can follow me on all the usual, you know, things like Twitter and Instagram and my personal Facebook page. I post a lot of essays and thought experiments and stuff like that. I have a website, pinchback.io. people can go there and join my mailing list and get email newsletters when I manage to get them out into the world. Uh, in terms of other things, um, I definitely feel that Extinction Rebellion is, is, is an important and powerful movement right now. Um, so that's one that people can get involved with if they're willing to, you know, be in this sort of direct activist mindset and, you know, maybe get arrested. Um, another one is climate mobilization, uh, which is more focused on, uh, bringing about policy change, getting localities to declare uh, a climate emergency, which was that is then like the prelude to then introducing uh, new levels of policy.
0: Cool. Really uh, cool. Well, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time, Daniel. And, uh, I hope your leg heals up really fast and, uh, Thanks, buddy. It was good to- And that's that, another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I truly hope you had a good time listening to this interview and gained some form of new perspective inside or knowledge that serves you, that enriches your life. And if that's the case, make sure to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, follow the social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and simply be part of the conversation, one step at a time. Wherever you are, have yourself a stellar day.